welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of the Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got a really exciting guest. Her name is Suzanne Mulhill, and we're going to be talking about all things women and orgasm today. So welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, Suzanne, this is a, such an interesting and insightful, and I would think a very informative topic to talk about for women today. Um, we're going to be looking and discussing what helps women achieve orgasm and helping women rediscover orgasm, or for those women who've never achieved orgasm, how they can actually start that process of learning how to have one. So, <laughs> Suzanne, tell me, first of all, and the listeners, how you got into studying this particular subject? Oh, well, how I got into studying it was having the problem myself. Um, so for more than 30 years, I had, um, how would I call it, a, uh, a relationship with orgasm that was kind of like my relationships with men. <laughs> you know, they would come and go. And um, also there was a lot of shame around my orgasm because it was like, well, if I don't I get into a new relationship and then I have this problem where I'm not going to orgasm. So it was, uh, I saw more than four sex therapists over those 30 year, over that 30 year period. And I came to a point where I was like, therapy isn't doing it. This is, this isn't working. I, I need something else. And uh, I ended up, um, uh, taking a class in London, in fact, a seven-month course called Orgasmic Meditation that uh, is no longer, it's very active in London and in certain parts of the world, but the company that started it is no longer around um, as a as a, as a for-profit company. Anyway, I, I discovered Orgasmic Meditation, I discovered meditation, I discovered cannabis, and I found that... Um, when I saw my first sex therapist at 20 some years old, I wanted to become a sex therapist. I thought, this is what I want to do. And now here I am in, I'm 61. Um, I'm three years into my PhD program. I am already a certified clinical sexologist and I'm working on my PhD in clinical sexology, um, doing research on cannabis and female orgasm because I found that um, that helped me I'm just going to tell you, like, this is a women's show. Like I, I was able to like have ejaculate, female ejaculation. Like that had never happened. It wasn't even in my list of things to do <laughs> because I mean, it was like, it was just was not even there. And I thought, Oh my God, like, can this relate to cannabis? And I began to explore cannabis. Um, so that's anyway, that's kind of the, the, the longer the short of how I got involved in uh, how I got here to become a, a clinical sexologist working on a PhD and conducting research on cannabis and uh, female orgasm. So 
tell the listeners a little bit about your research and, and what you discovered, you know, some percentages around the stats that you uncovered. Thank you. So, sure. So I've, I've researched more than 900 articles uh, to write the proposal to do the research project. And a couple things that I found were that, um, number one, uh, more than 46% of women, up to 46% of women worldwide, have difficulty orgasming. And more disturbing than that is that that statistic has not changed for 50 years. Um, and that research came out of Finland. A Dr. Osmo Kantula had found that the statistic hasn't changed for 50 years. So what I also found was that there's only one validated treatment for, they call it female orgasmic disorder. I prefer to use the word difficulty rather than disorder because I don't think it's a disorder. No. Um, I just don't like the label. No. Um, right? No, it doesn't um, sound very inspiring. No, and they, they took it away for men. So it's no longer called male orgasmic disorder. It used to be called male orgasmic disorder. Now it's called delayed ejaculation, which is a different topic, but they don't have the label anymore of disorder. So, um, so that there's only one validated treatment for female orgasmic difficulty, and that's only for women who've never orgasmed. It's called direct masturbation. And that was developed in the 1970s. So there are no other validated treatments for the majority of women who have difficulty orgasming. And I just found that to be... Um, Sad. <laughs> right? What, what did you say? Sad. <laughs> Sad. And I mean, if you think about anxiety, okay, 18% anxi of the population has anxiety. And there's national associations for anxiety disorders. There's treatments for anxiety, there's decent, you know, all kinds of things. But when it came to female orgasm, especially because it's something that I struggled with for so long and felt there was really nowhere to turn. There was really, there really just wasn't a training program. So that's what I'm in the process of developing is female orgasm training, because I believe and I've seen and I've experienced proven pathways to orgasm. And it has to do with, um, I want to say, changing the brain. You know, that the brain, I just wrote a blog post about how the brain can heal our orgasm when it's not a, it's not a quick fix. Meaning oftentimes we think, oh, we can go to the store, we can buy a pill and we can take it and we're better. Um, that's like not Viagra. my experience. <laughs> like Viagra. Okay. So I, I would say anecdotally, I can tell you that the anecdotal evidence, meaning the, the evidence that's not directly researched shows for more than 50 years that cannabis helps women orgasm. Um, so I think I've answered the question and I started going into another direction. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries about that. You're, you're, very, you're more than welcome to elaborate. So um, in terms of cannabis then, I don't know the current status of whether this is a legal or illegal substance at the moment. Can you give us an idea around that to start with before we got talking about how it links to helping women with orgasm? Okay, sure. So um, in Florida, which is where I um, am from, um, it's legal in Florida. Um, and the research shows uh, Dr. Becky Lynn is a researcher out of, she's an OBGYN out of St. Louis, Missouri. Her research showed that 
more frequent use of cannabis, women are 2.14 times more likely to orgasm the more frequently that they use cannabis before sex. So another researcher, um, Dr. Kasman, in 2020 found that he used what was called a female sexual uh, female sexual function index. It's a it's an instrument. They call it an instrument for collecting data on women who have difficulty with any with the with the realms of pain, um, arousal, desire, orgasm, pain, lubrication are the like some of the main components of the what's called the FSFI, and found that for each step up of cannabis use, sexual difficulty, I'm not going to use the word dysfunction, sexual difficulty declines by 21%. So what it's showing is that it is, what and when I say by each step up, so if a woman goes from using it once a month to using it once a week, that's that improves 21%. If she goes from using it once a week to once every two or three days, that's another 21%. So each step up improves the sexual functioning of a woman by 21%. So there's something here. And it's been in the research for for 50 years. Um, Dr. Eric Good wrote about marijuana and sex back in the 1960s, 1970s. There are other researchers that were prominent in talking about cannabis being part of the design for sex, meaning it's, it was used even in ancient times for sexual enhancement. So it is not a new story. Um, in fact, part of the reasons it was it became illegal back in the 1930s in the United States is because women were enjoying it. And they were finding that, um, I mean, if you go and read, I mean, it's I've, some of these articles about why cannabis became illegal. It's it's pretty clear in the in the language that was used that um, I'm just going to say it that that men were intimidated by the fact that women were enjoying sex with cannabis, and they were th they thought they were going to be running off with other men and they would lose their woman. <laughs> you know? So um, so that's kind of the that that's where I'm now focusing on. Does it help? My question, my research question is, does cannabis help women who have difficulty? That question has not been asked and studied directly. So that's the question that I'm asking. Excellent. Well, in terms of, um, I suppose, the, the other side of the coin, and, and I'm just playing devil, devil's advocate here, is that I suppose there is always the risk that, you know, um, cannabis can lead to going on to harder types of drugs to get, you know, even more highs, so to speak, in, in our lives. So what's your thoughts around that? That's a good point. And that's what we were taught. That's what the images that I was, grow was growing up with in the 70s was that the brain was going to be fried on, um, on, on marijuana. Um, certainly, it is not good for uh, under 25 years of old, years eight, years of age. It's definitely bad for the brain for adolescents. There's no question about that. In terms of it leading to harder drugs, I I can do, I'm going to do, I don't believe that's true. I mean, that's my, that's, I believe we were taught that it's an entry-level drug. Um, 
And it may be when someone's a teenager that they start out with something like marijuana, but for a 30 or 40 or 50, which I was in my 50s when I started using cannabis, that's not that's not true for me. Um, from personal I experience. it's similar as well to people that started smoking. Obviously, there's millions of people that probably smoke or you've even stopped smoking now, but um, you know, not all of those smokers transferred their desires to try anything more than smoking. Exactly. I mean, I would think, you know, we could say the same thing about alcohol leading to other drugs. I mean, if we're going to put one drug in the category of this is an entry level drug, then which drug is it? Is it alcohol? Is it cigarettes? You know, is it because cigarettes you can just buy. So if someone starts, so I don't, I, you know, I, I, I haven't looked into the research on does it actually lead to um, for a 40 year old woman or a 35 year old woman, will it lead her to harder, harder drugs? I would say probably not. Um, that's uh, my take on that. Okay. But it's a good question because it's been what it's been what we've been taught. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I suppose it's each person taking responsibility for their actions, isn't it? It's, it's like, um, you know, that's every saying every person that plays the lottery is going to become a gambling addict, <laughs> for example. And clearly people who use alcohol can become alcoholics. People who use cannabis can become addicted to cannabis. Um, people who eat sugar, you know what I mean? Can we, it's, it, it can really be addiction or being craving something. Um, I want to say it isn't selective. It's when it becomes a craving, regardless of what it is. Uh, I mean, certainly there are drugs that will kill people, you know, if they're addicted to them. Marijuana hasn't been found to be that kind of drug where it's going to actually kill people. Um, and maybe if somebody's driving, and using cannabis, just like if they're driving and being drunk, you can get a DUI. So it's a good point. And what are, just again, for the sake of balance, do, do you see there are any uh, cons to actually using cannabis to help female orgasm? Good point. Um, number one, it's not for everyone. Um, number two, the dosage hasn't been determined what the proper um, pill, if you will, or dosage. Um, finding the right amount is important. Using too much can actually, I would say, ruin a sexual experience. Um, at least that was my experience when I started using cannabis. It'd be like, nope, just leave me alone. I, I, can't, I can't, don't, just don't even touch me, you know? So there can be, um, you know, if someone has psychotic uh, tendencies, it's definitely not something to be taken. Um, it's not something to be used as an escape. It's to be used with a, with intention. Um, using it in a country where it's illegal is it's also a problem mm -hmm. um, because in many countries, um, I know a woman in England who tried to get a prescription for cannabis as uh, a medical prescription for helping her with her orgasm and she was refused. Um, so I think the, the legality issue is, is one that's also important to consider in, a, in depending on where somebody lives. 
Um, like Europe, for example, it's very not, I think Amsterdam and Brussels maybe, and maybe Luxembourg are the only places that it's actually legal. Um, some other downsides, the perception of um, it's not socially really an acceptable, it's, it's not completely so. I would say that the social acceptability of it, um, those are some of the things that come to mind. Did you have any questions about anything in particular? No, I was just wondering, you know, because obviously uh, I'm from the UK originally, and um, although at the moment I'm based in Spain, and I know it, it isn't legal there, so I'm just thinking, you know, this could be a problem for, for people that are in countries where it isn't legal. Have you done any research about alternatives to cannabis that help women with female orgasm? Good, good question. So what I have found is, and what research has shown is meditation um, is something that can help women learn to um, focus and concentrate. Um, that because the the opposite of that is what's called cognitive distraction is one of the things that affects women's ability to orgasm. Um, so by stopping all the noise in one's head and learning how to meditate uh, can be very helpful for uh, as a one of the tools I'm going to call it that it's it's it may be one of the tools along with yoga, um, Kundalini yoga in particular. Um, Developing a pleasure practice. Uh, this is something that I had four women in a group uh, because I started a pleasure practice. It's not masturbation. Like we often think of masturbation as you just go and masturbate and have a sexual release, etc. A pleasure practice is a conscious practice that's say it's once or twice or three times a week where a woman would actually, okay, that today I'm going to try um, exploring touch on my body with the opposite hand. Today, I'm going to try, I want to see what it feels like to be in a higher state of arousal. Um, to, I want to see where I get, where I am in the desire cycle. Am I, do I have to sexual desire? Um, do I have, you know, is it, is the arousal stage where I don't really get aroused? Is it difficult for me to let go into orgasm? Um, am I thinking about orgasm? So versus they call it spectating, meaning watching the work, which is what I used to do was just like, okay. And it was kind of like an alert system um, because I had trauma in the in my past. So the trauma is like, wait a minute, we're not letting go here. Uh, that could be dangerous, you know? Um, so, so um, you know, I think it's, it's a multimodal, what they call a multimodal treatment approach, meaning it's not any one thing. It's a combination of things that can actually, for, for a woman to find what, what avenue, which pathway works to enhance sensation in the body, to let go into sensation. Um, my experience with Kundalini Yoga, I can tell you that I have from two years ago to now, uh, I'm in teacher training for Kundalini Yoga because I'm fascinated with it and learning how to surrender into, into sensation. Um, imagination training is another proven pathway that's been found in research to practice developing imagination, um, practice 
In fact, one researcher, Dr. Whipple, found that women who have orgasm through imagination, that the orgasm has the same magnitude as an orgasm without physical touch. Very so, powerful. Yeah. Very powerful. So these are, um, you know, fantasy is another one, like learning how to have fantasy. I never had any fantasies. I mean, my my thing was just, it was very goal oriented. You know, am I going to have an orgasm? Am I not? Or being set up for failure? Like, wow, I'm going to go into this. I already know what's going to happen. You know, kind of having a, a a negative outcome already in the, before you even begin. Yeah. You know, it's already in the mind. So it's really, the whole theme of it is, like I showed in the earlier beginning, was about retraining the mind. Um, and so those are some tools besides cannabis that can um, can help. So that just to recap, it was meditation, it was pleasure practice, it was imagination, and fantasy are, are a few. Another word you mentioned was Kundalini, and uh, for the benefit of the organ, uh, sorry, for the benefit of the listeners, I should say, um, what do you mean by Kundalini? Because um, I, I've heard the term before, and I know what it means, but I'd like you to explain for the benefit of anybody that doesn't know. Thank you. So Kundalini yoga is based on, um, comes from Tantra, the philosophies of Tantra, um, back from ancient times, and it incorporates um, breath, like what's called pranayama, in breathing with movement. Um, those are the, the combinations, like there's certain breath, it's breath, movement, and um, mantra, which is repeating something over and over in the mind. Um, you know, they say that in Kundalini, they say that the energy is stored in a, a sec, the sexual energy becomes unlocked in the body through the practice of this breathing and bringing the energy up through the energy centers of the body, the, um, the intelligence centers of the body, the seven, they call it the seven chakras. I mean, being a researcher, I, I like to see facts. Like I, I, I have a hard time, like just saying, just, uh, oh yeah, I'm, you know, oh, it's an energy center in your body and it's it's coiled like a snake. Mm, I don't really buy that. You know, <laughs> what I do buy is the results. And what I mean, what I mean by that is Kundalini Yoga has been shown to improve, um, to have better results than even pharmaceutical drugs or um, obsessive compulsive disorder, for example. Um, yoga as a practice has been proven to help women with female sexual issues. Um, not Kundalini hasn't been studied directly. So that, I don't know if that kind of, it's the combination of movement, breath and mantra. And there are specific, it's like a medicine where are there are thousands of Kriyas they're called, which is an actual practice. Like I did one yesterday to, it was called renewing, um, renew yourself concept. And at first I was like, what is this? This seems stupid. You know what I mean? I can hear my little, my little yeah. voice being like, whatever I had to do in doing this thing, I'm like, oh my God, it feels so stupid. And then 10 minutes later, I'm crying, like having this actual release, like uh, renewing my, you know, and I was like, shit, this is powerful. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a case of, you know, allowing yourself to be open to these things, isn't it? Yes. And dealing with that chatter, you know, the resistance to change is one of the most difficult things I think that I can speak for myself um, or just, I wanna speak for everyone, but just 
being open to change versus coming up with excuses for change, like having actually a, an awakening and staying spiritual, staying, staying awake um, and not letting resistance uh, take us out of like letting resistance take us out of balance. Basically, yeah. basically you know, going uh, beyond yeah. resistance. Yeah. And that's usually through past hurts and fears that we, we, we sort of default into that. Don't we? Wow. Yeah. Um, you asked about the fears. Is that what you said? Yeah. Us, usually it's because we default into fears and doubts, you know, um, when, when that happens, when we resist. Yes. And that's why it's important to have a practice of ment like a mental diet, not allowing those kind of thoughts to come in. Um, or when they do come in, um, taking a look at it. Okay, wait, wait a minute. What is this? No, wait a minute. I'm, af I'm afraid of, no, what am I afraid of? And really talking to the fear and building a relationship with fear, like giving every part of us a, a seat at the table, giving resistance a seat at the table, giving fear at the seat of the table, you know, not denying any, any part of ourselves. I think as women, that's our tendency is to suppress certain aspects of ourselves. And I had to learn to give all parts of myself a seat at the table, whether it's grief, whether it's sadness, whether it's happiness. I mean, it's easier to give the the good, the fun things. I mean, we label them good or bad, or this is a nice feeling, giving them all a seat at the table. A hundred percent agree with that. And it doesn't mean we have to let them sit there permanently, but you know, like you say, at least observe and hear it out. <laughs> Yeah, hear what they have to say. And then we have the power to help it transform. So if it's sadness, like, okay, yeah, I'm sad. And we have the tears cry. And it's like, okay, now if that's our inner child, okay, I want to go out and play now. You know, <laughs> letting that letting that kid now go out and play. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, offering the wiser words of wisdom as the adult that you are now to that inner child. Yes, like really really loving on it's like you know and I, I remember when I was doing my pleasure practice um one time I was like part of me was in resistance and I, I remember crying and saying I don't want to do this and the adult part of me like had to comfort the child part of me and say it's okay you know I'm going to keep you safe and you know that that safety component for women like if if we, you know, if we were to compare Maslow's hierarchy of needs of security down at the bottom for the low, the, the, the most important need that's at the bottom for women, it's safety in learning to let go and learning to orgasm. In my opinion, um, I think safety plays a huge role, safety in the relationship, safety in the body, safety in oneself, safety yeah. in the world. You I know? agree. <laughs> Hundred percent. Yeah, I think that is the highest priority for women. Um, so, Suzanne, we're coming to towards the end of the actual episode now. So, for the benefit of our listeners, what is your best contact information for anybody that might want to reach out with you and perhaps take part in your survey and your thank research? Thank you. Yes. Um. Thank you, Lynn. Um. They can go. Your listeners can go to orgasmproject.org. O-R-G-A-S-M-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.org. And the survey will pop up uh, right on the homepage. And uh, my email is there also, info at orgasmproject.org. Thank you so much. So any final words of wisdom that you would like to share before we close off this episode? 
I think for any woman that has had difficulty with orgasm or struggles with any shame around orgasm or any type of sexual issue to give hope that um, it's not there forever, that problem, that, that they can change with determination, with desire to change, uh, moving through the problem. It's not going to be there forever. And I know from my own experience, I can share that. Um, because I've come through perhaps what other women are still struggling with. Um, it doesn't have to be that way if they, we can, we, to have hope and to put the action into place to make the changes consistently and with commitment and they will have a renewed sense of self. Thank you so much, Suzanne. This has been a really fascinating conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing Thank your you. story and your vulnerability and your wise words of wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. And the survey is good. It's a 40 question survey for women who use cannabis um, and are engaged in partnered sex. And like I mentioned, it can be found at orgasmproject.org till the end of the year. I'll be collecting data and hope to share with you next year what the results uh, find. Excellent. So it just leaves me to say, listeners, true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.